Before we get started on today's episode, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Anchor. If you're interested in starting your own podcast and you're not sure what platform to use, look no further than Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast today, and it gives you everything you need for free. You can edit your podcast, create artwork, and import your own music all from your mobile app. Another great feature of Anchor is that you don't have to worry about understanding how the RSS feed works and all the other technical difficulties that went into making a podcast back in the days. All you have to do is record your podcast and Anchor will send your episode out to iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and others. If all that isn't enough, Anchor also gives you the opportunity to make money off your podcast. With no minimal listenership, you can start making money today by using ads. So this is what I need you to do. Download the Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Proverbial Life Podcast. This is a podcast where we encourage Christians to look to Christ, live wisely, and leave a legacy behind for generations to follow. Today, I have a very special guest with me, Scott David Allen, who is the author of Why Social Justice is Not Biblical Justice. Before he introduces himself, I would like to remind everyone how they can help support the ministry. You can do so by subscribing to the channel, by sharing this recording, and or supporting the ministry at patreon.com backslash proverbial life. You can also follow me on Twitter, uh, Fan Into Flame E, and you can also follow me on the website, theproverbiallife.com. All right. Well, with no further ado, let me get right into it. I have a special guest. Scott David Allen, sir, how are you today? I'm great, Edwin. It's great to be with you. Yes, sir. Yes. You you are the author of Why Social Justice is Not Biblical Justice. And uh are you do you go by uh, Dr. Scott David Allen? No, I'm just Scott. You can okay. just call me Scott, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, well, brother, if you would please introduce yourself to people or for people who don't know you, maybe let them know. Um, something about yourself. And uh, we know that you've written this book. Are there any other works that you have out that you've produced? Uh, yeah, there's a few books that I've written over the years. Um, uh, and yeah, you could simply find this book on Amazon and look at my other books uh, if you're interested in kind of exploring some of the some of the work that I've done. But uh, but yeah, the uh, just a little bit about myself. Um, probably the most important thing is I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm married and have five wonderful kids, homeschool dad. Um, my uh, career has been spent in uh, international Christian ministry, specifically relief and development. I worked for many years with the Christian Relief and Development Organization, Food for the Hungry, mm. and uh, have had a chance to travel to many different countries in the developing world, Africa, Asia, Latin America, and uh, for the last 20 years have been the president of a small Christian discipleship ministry called the Disciple Nations Alliance. And our focus is on um, equipping and training Christians with uh, what we call an empowered biblical worldview. Um, and we're believers in the power of truth to bring positive change to lives and cultures around the world. So that's that's our focus. It's um, trying to disciple nations through the power of biblical truth lived out 
in uh, every area of society and particularly ways that bring about change to the poorest and most vulnerable. So mm, that's good, brother. Yeah. When you said that, I think of Jesus's words, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Amen. Uh, yeah. We know we know that that has uh, spiritual implications, of course. Right. Uh, but there are also very practical uh, implications of the truth setting you free here on this side of eternity. So exactly. uh, thank, thank you for that, brother. And uh, definitely encourage those of you who are watching, make sure that you uh, please first consider reading this book, Why Social Justice is Not Biblical Justice. And then if you're interested in uh, the other resources that Scott David Annell has uh, with regards to discipleship, please consider purchasing those as well. Well, brother, uh, first, let me say thank you for one being on. And and secondly, uh, those of you who don't know this, I received this book as a gift from my dear brother who I'm talking to today. Yeah. <laughs> so, so brother, thank you for the gift. Um, I, this, this was one of the books that I wanted, um, that, that I just had not been able to purchase at the time. Mm. And when you sent me the message that you would like to, gift this book to me. It was, it was a joy brother and, and mm. I'm super thankful and encouraged by it. Um, if, if you don't mind, I want to read the note that you have here. Uh, you wrote a little note for me here mm. in the book and you said, may God bless you, Edwin, as your ministry, as, as you minister, as your ministry, um, helps people become biblical justice warriors. <laughs> and I love that because I don't know if you know this, uh, brother, and, and this, I guess, is to my question, uh, why you thought to send me this book. But I don't know if you knew I was a social justice warrior. Yeah, well, I <laughs> I know I, I, I learned about you, Edwin, from reading uh, another book um, on this subject by Thaddeus Williams, the great professor out at uh, Talbot and Biola in Southern California. He wrote a book called Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth. And uh, that came out shortly after my book. I've not met him. I want to meet him. My daughter's a graduate of Biola and loved his book. And one of the things I thought he did uh, that was uh, terrific was he included uh, bios of various people of whose lives have been impacted by this uh, subject of social justice and, and yours was one of them. And I thought how, I just was really taken by your story. I was brief. I mean, I just read a page or two in, in his book on you. So that's, that's where I, I reached out to you and uh, you were gracious enough to get back to me. I think it was through Facebook and uh, I thought, Oh, I'd love to send him a copy of my book. And so anyways, thanks for taking time to read it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. In fact, this is my second time going through it. Uh, I've read it initially when I received it as a gift, and now I'm uh, through the Center of Biblical Unity doing a book study uh, in that, and that's been a great joy to go over it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I was in the um, when I when I was con when I considered myself a social justice warrior, mm -hmm. I was a Christian, mm -hmm. and uh, I I I was a victim of bad ideas, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. those bad ideas grew. Mm -hmm. and where I started on this journey of being a social justice advocate mm. isn't where I ended. Mm. Uh, and, and, and that is to say that the ideas that I initially embraced uh, were sincere mm. and they, it, it be, I became tr continually worse mm. to the point where maybe we can discuss this in our conversation, but to the point where um, I, I was, I had 
anger and resentment toward white right. people. Right. Um, so, so brother, with that being said, what, what inspired you to write this book? Cause yours was one of the first, if not the first one out on the topic, at least around that time. So what inspired you to write the book? Well, several things. Um, you're right about it being one of the first books to be out that was critical of this social justice movement. There had been several books um, published by evangelical publishing houses and Christian academics and Christian thought leaders that were, I would say, very kind of pro-critical um, theory or social justice um, that had come out over the last, say, five years um, that's part of the reason I wrote the book. I, I you know, as I, I was confronted with this ideology in a variety of ways through personal friends that tried to convert me to wokeness, if you will, um, and just a variety of other ways. Uh, I began to dig deeply into it and was puzzled by the fact that it seemed like all the books in the evangelical world that were um, addressing the subject were doing it from the standpoint of being kind of affirming or pushing these ideas. And I thought, now, this, these, these ideas clearly are not biblical. Where's the books that are critical of it or kind of critiquing it? And it was shocking to me that there, there really weren't any books. Um, there were some speakers, podcasts. There were people that were beginning to speak up, but there wasn't a book. Um, you know, I think the other reason that I wrote it, Edwin, is just what you said earlier. You said I was the victim of bad ideas. And one of the things that has been really a central part of my life is just the power of ideas. I think people don't recognize just how powerful words and ideas are um, and uh, just how much we can be captive to ideas. And I say that as somebody who's been captive to bad ideas at different times in my life, you know, we're all prone to this. Um, and so I take ideas very seriously. Um, and these ideas in particular, as I was looking into them, appeared to me to be very dangerous to people's lives and to society as a whole. I thought if this really takes root, continues to take root, it's gonna tear us apart. So I, I, I'm very alarmed at the ideas and that's part of the reason I wrote the book, so. Oh, that's great, brother, yeah. Yeah, one of the things I think about often on the other side of this ideology, and that's what you, you reference it as a uh, social justice ideology or ideological social justice. Right. Uh, I'd love for you to talk about that here in a moment. But one of the things that um, that I, I reflect back on is the, the I, I'm ashamed of the ideas I believed. Um, but I but the Lord is merciful and he's Amen. kind and, yeah. and, and he's very gracious. And I think I think one of the things that as Christians we need to be sober minded by is that we have an enemy who wants mm. to steal, kill and to destroy. That's and true. were it not for the grace of God, we would believe the wrong things about God in many areas and they would lead us into destruction. That's right. And so the Lord is very gracious and kind and and one of the things brother mm. and I know you can testify to this is that when some, some, you know, the Lord will allow us to go into certain things, right? Mm -hmm. and, and and you remember in First Corinthians, um, where where uh, Paul says, um, you know, I, I, this is or it was a Peter. This was this is to strengthen the brethren, right? Yes. When, when the Lord brings you out of these hardships, when He brings you out of these trials, and you name the trial, when He brings you out of it. It is for you to reflect on the goodness and the grace and the kindness of God and for you to strengthen the brethren. 
Mm-hmm. And that's been my desire. And 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 with the resume you have with respect to missionary work and discipleship work, that's exactly mm-hmm. what you're desiring to do as well. Exactly. Strengthen yeah. the brethren. Exactly. Yeah, I've got such a heart for the church because, you know, to me, well, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. But beyond that, I mean, I believe that the church is God's plan A, you know, to bring about positive change. And God wants to. He wants to see his kingdom advancing in this world. You know, it's not going to come into its fullness until he returns. But he's not just up there waiting for everything to fall apart. And then he comes back. He wants, you know, he wants to be, uh, he wants people's lives to be blessed. You know, and I'm not speaking in terms of a prosperity gospel here, but he wants to bring his blessings. Let his blessings flow, as we sing at Christmas time, as far as the curse is found, you know, that's God's heart. And he's, he wants to use the church for that purpose. And so, and the way we do that is through truth and love, you know, and by, and the power of the gospel. So. Yeah, that's good, brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this is a question, man. Was, was In writing this book, was it difficult for you to write this book, given the, um, the, the, the count of melanin in your skin? Uh, let, let's put it that way. Was it difficult given, given the anticipated pushback you may receive as and older. I mean, you fit the description. Right, of right. I am. I'm oppressed. a white supremacist, right? Right, right. <laughs> um, was it difficult? Uh, yeah, I mean, it. it I, I think so. I was surprised by how many people. To, okay, let me just back up for a second. To, to me, it, there, I was focused on the ideology. Where, where did this? Where did these ideas come from? And by the way, it's fascinating that these ideas, they all ideas and ideologies have a a history, if you will, they haven't, you know, uh, you can find out where they originated and kind of who championed them over the years. All of these ideas started in Europe uh, 150 years ago by white men. So these, <laughs> this is this is a white man's ideology, if you will. Now, um, uh, you know, so I, I was focused on the ideology. Um, Given that, though, when I started speaking out about it, people, yeah, I got a lot of like, you can't say that or, you know, this is it's kind of hypersensitivity around these ideas, especially as a white man. Or if we need if we want to hear from people on this, they've got to be people that are Hispanic like yourself or black or Asian or whatever it is, you know. And I I continue to get that, you know, it's but but I think I do think it's it's uh, it had that hadn't been particularly hard because I think people are beginning to see through this now, especially in the last six months. And they're beginning to see what it truly is, which is a racist ideology and one that's moving us um, towards deeper racial resentments and tensions and away from uh, kind of seeing each other as human beings, regardless of the color of our skin. So. Yeah, now that's good, brother. And the reason I ask is because it's unfortunate that there are many people who think in those ways. Right. Still, I, I, I can't. I can't receive. You, you don't understand. You can't empathize. You're not in my skin. Right. And it, it goes beyond, you know, dealing with an ideology, to to surface level, you know, superficial color the, 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 based on the color of a person's skin. Uh, you know, and so so it, it's it's very troubling when you can't have a conversation with someone and deal with ideas and we have to, we have to work on the, the, the surface level of the color of a person's skin first. Right. Um, well, that being said, brother, why isn't social justice the same as biblical justice? 
you know, they're, they're very different. Um, and again, if you look at the history of the ideas, biblical justice is rooted in the Hebrew scriptures and in God himself, in the character of God himself. And those ideas have been passed down generation through generation. Um, biblical justice is all about conformity to the moral standard, if you will, that is God, that is his nature and his character. Um, that's the way I define biblical justice in the book. It's alignment or conformity to this transcendent, eternal standard of good. Um, social justice isn't about kind of aligning. They don't believe in God. It's, it's an atheist. Again, the founders of social justice ideology were atheists. And they, um, so they didn't believe in God. Uh, rather, what they were interested in is um, overcoming systems of oppression and kind of uh, pushing for a society where uh, there were no disparities. It was kind of a socialistic dream of equality of outcome. And you still see that deeply within this movement. So it's not conformity to God or his standards for right and wrong, but it's rather it's kind of social engineering, um, pushing to, to kind of level the playing field between groups that are deemed to be oppressors and groups that are deemed to be victims. Um, so... Uh, that's just a little flavor of it there. Yeah, that's good. And I know you mentioned in the book, you talk about um, the pursuit of a utopia. Right. Um, yeah. And and so why, why do you, why do you think uh, many professing Christians and myself included when I was in this movement, but from your perspective, why do you think many Christians are embracing these ideas? Well, I'd love to hear your, your answer to that question, you know, uh, but I, I think that my, my sense is that the Christians are embracing it, particularly on the issue of race, because the social justice ideology is really interested in fomenting divisions along certain lines. One is race, one is gender identity, and the other is sex, right? Male, female. I think the Christians, for the most part, are being drawn into the ideology on the issue of race. And I think for, the, for all of the right reasons, I mean, I, I, their intentions are very good. They want... They, there is the reality of the fact that in the United States in particular, we have this really troubled history with race because of slavery and Jim Crow and segregation. And so there's this desire to say, we want to separate ourselves from that history. We don't want to be on the wrong side of a civil rights movement. And many, I think many Christians see Black Lives Matter and the current kind of push, racial push as kind of the next civil rights movement. And they, they definitely don't want to be a, you know, on the wrong side of that, they don't want to miss out on that, you know. And so I think their motives are very good. What I think many of them are not seeing is that there's, you know, there's a distinct separation between what groups like Black Lives Matter are pushing today and what the civil rights movement in the 1950s and people like Martin Luther King were pushing for. They're not the same. This is not a continuation of that kind of civil rights movement. This is very different. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Satan is very he, obviously we know he's deceptive. Yes. Father of lies, right? <laughs> right. Father That's of great. lies. And yeah. he 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 can he can have you champion a cause that is diabolical, but he'll flavor it with truth. That's and, right. And it's still yeah. a lie, right? Yeah. Like you he'll he'll couple justice um and wrap it in social justice. Exactly. And, and say that it's the same thing and say that it's biblical justice. Exactly. Exactly. And and he, he had the gall to do this to the son of man. Right. He did this to Jesus. Uh, Matthew four. 
he quotes scripture, right? Matthew, uh, uh, Psalm, Psalm 90, throw yourself off, you know, the, the, yeah. the mountain and the angels will catch you. And, and so he's, he's actually quoting scripture, but he's, he's not quoting scripture correctly. Mm -hmm. and so he, he's lying. And that's exactly what I've found personally in, in my own journey through this, that he's done uh, in my own mind and in my own heart. Um, you, you know, to that question, one of the things that one of the biggest things for me, brother, was that I, I, I turned off my brain in the mm -hmm. name of empathy. And right, the empathy, right. The empathy was close. It, it was directly tied to my ethnicity. Mm. So, so here I'm seeing not just people being beat down by cops, but I'm seeing my people get beat down by cops. Right. And, and, you know, my people, I had that category of my people being those who are black and brown. Right. Yeah. Those are, I, I grew up in an urban community. Those are my people. Right. And I know how the cops are and I know this and we live in a racist day and that, 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 that. and it mm -hmm. just, and, and now I start off not believing this narrative, but then it being put in my face through the media mm. and not sifting through that information and gathering information and being able to discern right from wrong based on evidence. I just would assume that, oh, this is this is the system is racist and this person is racist and white people are racist and so on and so forth. So, mm. yeah, it was for an empathy of my people. Um, and one of the things the Lord really freed me from was a reminder. And I knew this, but it was a mm. reminder. Jesus says, your mother and your, your father and your brother are outside. And he says, who's my mother and who's my father? Huh. But he who does the will of God. Hmm. You know? and, and that's that's who our mother and our father and our brother and our sister are, right? Mm. Are those who live for the Lord, know the Lord, desire to please the Lord and have been born from above. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So, so brother, that, that said, what, what makes a person woke and how is that different than just caring about justice? Well, uh, the term woke, uh, as I understand it from my own studies on this, basically it's the idea that there are systems and structures of oppression that have been put in place um, over uh, many, many years. And in the case of the social justice ideology, those systems were put in place by white Christian men, largely, okay, because they had power, because they're, they were um, the ma majority in our country. And so they established these systems and these structures, the patriarchy, white supremacy, whiteness, these, they go by very names, the various names, these systems. And it, they're actually so much kind of running in the background of society that they're hard to see. And, you know, you're, we're hardly aware of them. And yet the result or the upshot of these systems of oppression are disparities. So these disparities might include there's more Hispanic people in prison than white people, for example, or whatever the disparity is. There's more uh, white people that have higher SAT scores than black people or whatever it is. So the that those disparities are the proof then of of these systems that are operating in society. So to be woke is to 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 have your eyes opened and to see these systems operating and functioning that are kind of uh, again they're they're a little bit hard to see. You have to kind of have a conversion almost to see them. So yeah, that's just very different than biblical justice. Um, 
the, again, biblical justice, the thing that defines biblical justice is alignment to God's standard for uh, justice and righteousness. Um, so anyways, yeah, those are a couple of ideas. Yeah, that's good. And so how would you say, again, oh, so you, you answered that, that that would be different than um, just caring about justice. Uh-huh. So the, the person who 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 wants to care about justice, are they are they woke? Are they what category does that person fall under as opposed to juxtaposed to being woke? I'm sorry. Could you repeat that question? Oh, no problem. Let me let me rephrase it. So um, uh, the, the first half of the question is what makes a person woke and how is that different than just caring about justice? Well, I think to care about justice, first of all, it's to it's to desire to be in alignment with, you know, what what God deems to be good, right, true. And then secondly, it's to treat other people. It's it basically it's to love your neighbors yourself. It's to it's to live out the Ten Commandments in your everyday life. OK, so it has a lot to do with the decisions that you make in terms of the way you treat other people. Um you know, the idea that there can be systemic oppression uh, for the Christian is, uh, I would say, is true, right? There can, right? We live in a fallen world yeah. and uh, we ourselves are fallen. We have to live with the effects of the fall. That affects not just ourselves personally, it affects families, companies, organizations, and entire systems. Uh, to fight for biblical justice, though, I think is to fight at the level of, injustice in society, but also, and this is more fundamental, at the level of injustice in our own hearts, right? Mm -hmm. um, in other words, we have to go deeper than the social justice movement is willing to go. We have to go down to the level of our own hearts and deal with the injustice that's there. And the way we do that is by confessing it, and uh, Christ pays the penalty for that injustice. That changes our hearts. Then we can be agents in bringing about positive change in society. None of that is true for the social justice movement. So they're going to ignore all of this internal change that has to happen. And by the way, that has to happen to everybody. Yes. One of the most dangerous things about the social justice movement is they're drawing this line uh, between good and evil, not through every human heart, so to speak. It's not that everyone needs to change or everyone has to be born again or deal with their own sin and injustice, but only certain groups. And this is very dangerous. So it's, it's it, here it's not unlike Nazi Germany, where that line got divided between Germans and Jews or Nazis and Jews. Or in Rwanda, the line got drawn between Hutus and Tutsis. Whenever we draw that line between groups, uh, all sorts of horrible things happen. And that's one of the big reasons I'm very alarmed at the social justice movement is I see this tendency to draw the line between good and evil between groups. There's some reasons for that, historical reasons and current reasons, but the idea behind it is a very dangerous and toxic idea. So if you're on the victim side, all the problems in my life have to be blamed on other people and there's very little I can do about it. And then if you're on the oppressor side of that line, you feel this sense of kind of uh, guilt that, and this, this kind of uh, if, if the problems on the other side of the line are going to be fixed, it's up to me to fix them. I've got to do something to fix them. It's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a mess basically. Yeah. yeah, no, that's, that's great, brother. You know, it, it's interesting, right? When you read, when you read the epistles and you hear the apostle Paul, for example, um, to talk about, 
his sinfulness and and he he never blames a system mm. he never blames um the roman government he never blames anything he says i am the chief of sinners that's right right and he, and he exactly points, he points yeah. right back to the problem which is his own heart prior to being in christ and right. then now being in christ he says you know i worked harder than all the other disciples yet not i but the grace of god right the christ who lives and works in and through me yes. so the, the 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 prior to coming to Christ, we are enemies of God. Yes. Right? We're estranged from him. We're we're outside of the camp. Christ comes and lives a life we could never live, dies in our place, right. rises from the grave on our behalf. When we repent of our sin and put our trust in him, he gives us his life in exchange for our sin. And now we're declared righteous. That's right. And and from that Amen. point on in our life, now our lives are hidden in Christ. Amen. Yeah. And yeah, we have a new life and we have a new identity. And that changes everything, doesn't it, Edwin? Including the way we relate to each other, right? Yes. Now we relate to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the main way that we see one another, not in terms of these other categories. Um, that's why Paul said, it's not that these other categories don't matter, but in comparison, yes. they don't matter. Um, there's neither Jew nor Greek, Gentile, male, female. We're all one in Christ. That's the biblical idea. It's very powerful. And when that idea takes root in a society, it brings incredible positive change. And I say this as somebody who spent a lot of time in Africa. I've seen the devastation of tribalism, bloody devastation. But when these biblical ideas take root in a society, it leads to reconciliation, it leads to incredible change. Mm. And this is where we're going backwards now in our own country. We're losing sight of this biblical idea that, let's say, people like Martin Luther King were championing because he's a, he was a Christian man pushing a biblical idea. We're losing it. And now we're, 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 we're going backwards and, and, and judging other people based on things like skin color. Yeah, yeah. I mean, wh wh where in your theology can you fit in 70 times 7 in the social gospel, the social justice mm -hmm. movement? You yeah. know? Great point. It has no basis for forgiveness, by the way. No, it doesn't. It, and because of that, there's no basis for reconciliation. And this is what makes it so dangerous and so toxic. It's literally like an acid. If it if it if it continues to influence society, it just tears it apart. And you can see that. You can see it in families. You can see it in churches. Everywhere this ideology takes a root, you will inevitably see division, hostility, conflict. It's just because that's the nature of it, you know. Right. And this right. this again is the as you were saying, it's demonic. This is the demonic aspect of it. Yes. Yeah. So, so brother, with, with that, how how do how do we do justice and mercy in our daily lives? What does this look like practically? And you you hit on it, and I actually had this as an answer as well. And so, mm. so maybe you'll repeat it. Um, but I, I think, and the reason why I'm asking this question is because there's so many people um, that I've encountered in, in 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 these kinds of conversations who who aren't they're not racist, but but they're being charged by that claim or with that claim because of the, the, the color of their skin. Right. But they, they want it, they want to honor God. They want to do the right thing. And I tell them it, it isn't as difficult as you're imagining it in your mind. Right. So exactly. No, I think it, we sometimes make this too complicated. I do think that doing justice in your daily life is like 
it's living out the Ten Commandments to the, you know, in the power of Christ, especially as we relate to one another. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. It's seeing them. It's seeing other people. Well, first of all, it's it's getting right with God, right? I mean, it's 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 living out the Ten Commandments in all of our relationships. Most importantly, the relationship we have with God, and and that means confessing that we're never going to be right with God, in, in, apart from faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, He's the one that makes that relationship that reconciliation possible. So it's getting that one straight. And then it's it's seeing other people uh, as image bearers of God, yes. as incredibly valuable, as people loved by God with incredible dignity and worth and value. And then when you see people being oppressed in any way by whatever force, it's speaking up on behalf of them. It's standing up for them. Like, so where do we see it today? Like, for example, in the where do we see it in in a community like the black community? I would say that you see it uh, most clearly in the fact that um, the rates of abortion in the black community are 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 so high, so off the charts. And this is not just true of the black community; it's true of all different racial communities. There are literally more black children aborted. Aborted means killed in New York City than born alive today. That's the nature of this injustice against innocent children. So you can't just be quiet about that. You can't just let that happen or ignore that or turn a blind eye to that. You have to speak up, you have to speak out. And so you have to fight against these kinds of injustices where you see them because you see these are people made in the image of God um, that are valuable, created by him, loved by him. So I do, I do think that's a big part of what we need to be doing. And the church at its very best has always been about looking for those marginalized, vulnerable people and advocating on their behalf because of who they are, because of their incredibly priceless value to God. Right. Yeah. They're created in the image of God. Exactly. Right? And, yeah. and on that bait, because there is one God yeah. You know, who who's Lord overall, we, overall. we want to um, we want to be, um, you know, advocating for life. Um, and, and and that's that's the answer that I, I typically give people. We need to love God. We need to love our neighbor. Mm. And if if we are in Christ, right, if, if we're in Christ, then we can love God and we can love our neighbor properly according to his standard. But but more more moreover, if we're in if we're in Christ, we have the spirit of God. Amen. And and if we have the spirit of God, the spirit of God is sanctifying his people, right? According to the word of God. And if we have the spirit of God, we will be rich with good works. Amen. And exactly. So, so yeah. what has God put before you to do? Exactly. Do it for the glory of God. Exactly. 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 I believe just like you do that. Uh, I think it says in Ephesians that uh, God has saved us in order that we should, he's prepared good works for us yes. in advance that we should walk in them. He's got something for all of his children to do. And he is all about, you know, bringing about a just world. Again, that's not going to be complete until he comes back and sets everything in order. And that's, by the way, that's part of our view of justice. Uh, we're not going to ever have this perfect, just society on this side of Christ's return, but we should be working towards it. We should be anticipating it and living in it to the degree that we can. And, and to that end, he's given us assignments, right? He's put us in a particular place, in a particular time, in relationships to push for justice, to 
to, to advance his kingdom, which is a kingdom of goodness and truth and beauty and justice. Mm. So the question for all of us is, what can I do? How can I be moving the needle in the relationships and in the place that I'm in right yeah. now? So, yes. Yeah, and that's great, brother. And I think practically that just means, you know, what what are my gifts? What what, what are my, my talents? How am I utilizing my time? How am I taking care of my body, mm-hmm. my mind? Uh, what, what, how am I being a good steward over the things that God has placed in my life as a, as a man or a wife or a husband, or, you know, wh- wh- where are you at and, and take a self-evaluation and say, how can I live for God's glory where I'm at now in my community at my college, wherever I'm at. Exactly. And one of the things that bothers me about the social justice movement, um, Edwin, is that it limits kind of your view. It it gives you a very narrow, constrained, crabbed kind of view of justice. It says justice has to fit into certain categories. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, so victims of injustice have to be people of color or women or sexual minorities, LGBTQ, et cetera. And beyond those, there's, you know, they're just blind, if you will, to the injustices that are happening around the world. So it gives you a very skewed view of, of, of justice. I'm not saying that those folks can't be victims of injustice. They absolutely can and are in many ways. But it, injustice is everywhere, okay? And I think as Christians, we can't just kind of have this very narrow boxed in view. We have to say, who are the victims of injustice in my neighborhood? Yes. Uh, they might be white. They might right. be elderly. Who knows, Right. But if I've got a particular social justice view, I'm just blind to that, right? I remember talking to, you mentioned Monique Dusan, our friend at the Center for Biblical Unity, wonderful ministry and young lady. She was also a social justice advocate for many years. And her testimony is very powerful for me. She said, as I put that aside and I kind of regained a biblical understanding of justice, all of a sudden there was so much more injustice that I needed to be working for (laughs) in the world because I got outside those narrow categories, you know. Yeah. Um, and very often those categories aren't even true. So, for example, if you're a black person, you are by definition a victim of injustice, kind of regardless of your circumstances. Right. Whereas and if you're a white person, you're uh, an oppressor, again, regardless of your circumstances. Well, that's going to lead you to a very skewed view of justice because that white person might actually be a victim of injustice in some ways or the black person may not. So anyways, it just it skews kind of a true view of justice, I think. Yeah. And it demeans the person. Right. I remember when I was woke, mm. I was I was angry and mm. discouraged and depressed mm. often, often mm. because mm. because because there's there's this world, there's this there's this system that right. I'm fighting against. Yes. But, but I'm just a person and, and, and people don't see it. And so. Yeah this is never going to end. And it's just, it's just highly discouraging. Uh, when, when you get your eyes off of the God of the Bible, you know, and I say that with all due respect, because I know that there are believers who, who are embracing these ideas, who believe in the God of the Bible. But I, I think, I think in those situations, and I could speak for myself, um, you know, th- th- there are times you remember, you remember David, right? David, David uh, is with Bathsheba and here he's confronted by the prophet. And he says, you know, there was a man who stole this person's sheep or animal. And, and David says, who's the man? You know, I'm going to kill him. Where is he? And, and, right. and Daniel says, you're the man. Right. And there, there are seasons when, when God puts 
blinders, right? And because of our sin, we're blinded and we can't see properly. Right. And and, yes. and that's what happens in these instances, I think, in many cases. Again, that's the power of ideas. Ideas, you know, ideologies in particular, they put blinders on you. They force you to see things in a particular way and prevent you from seeing things in other ways or as they really are. And uh, we're all prone to that, right? We, uh, we're in good company. The Apostle Paul, right, was... He had a particular ideology, if you will, before, you know, meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. And it wasn't right. No. Uh, the disciples, you know, before Christ's uh, resurrection had a particular view. <laughs> and then right. they had a massive paradigm shift. And uh, this is th this is true for all of us. We all are shaped by these powerful ideas from our culture. But we have to always be seeking to have those kind of blown up in a way that allows us to see what's really true. You know, the. The, the, the true nature of the world around us that God presents in his word. So, yeah. And, and, and just to encourage those of you who are watching, the Lord will never lose any of those that Christ died for. Amen. And, 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 and maybe you don't agree with that. The mm -hmm. Lord, the Lord will keep his own till the very end. Mm -hmm. And, and I say that to say, you may go through a season of darkness and depression, and you may feel yourself drifting away into ideas. The Lord will bring you back to himself by virtue of the truth of his word. Amen. All right. And he'll, and, and the spirit of God is the one who will uh, draw you back to himself. And so the Lord will keep his own till the end. Mm -hmm. And, and you may, I, I remember an old quote by a, a theologian he says that you may the christian may fall on board but he will never fall overboard hmm. i love hmm. that analogy right you may hmm. fall on board or or as the the proverb says a righteous man falls seven times but he gets back up amen and yeah. that's by the power of the holy spirit hmm. right um brother what what have been some reactions and responses you've received from people who have read this book yeah, the uh, response generally has been really positive. In fact, overwhelmingly positive. And I think, again, it's because a lot of Christians, I would say your average Christian in the United States in particular, was really sensing something's not right. Things are really, you know, this this movement that's coming out of the universities into the culture, uh, Black Lives Matter, these riots, all of this stuff that's been going on, something's really wrong that um, there just hasn't been a lot of great teaching or um, help in terms of what's going on, what's happening in the culture. So I think people, uh, when they received the book, felt like, ah, oh, this is this helps me to make sense of things. This helps me to see it for what it is. And, you know, once you see it, once you understand it, then you can take action. It's so hard to, to know how to, to act or respond when you can't quite get your head around something. And so I think it's been, you know, it's overwhelmingly been positive. There have been those, you know, the, the social justice ideology has taken a deep root um, in the church as well. And there have been people that have been very critical, um, you know, um, but a lot of them are my friends. I will say, you know, <laughs> I have a lot of social justice advocates that are friends of mine and I love them. Um, they, I think our big difference is that they believe these ideas, there's good things that can come from them. And we can absorb those ideas to a degree and kind of mix them in with our faith and pull out kind of, as some people say, you know, eat the meat and spit out the bones. I, I, I just I think where they're they're wrong, if you will, is that they're not taking the, these ideas. They're, they're, they don't see the power of these ideas. 
um, and they don't really take seriously where they've come from and kind of what the history of these ideas are. So yeah. I'm not saying they're all wrong. I'm not saying that people that advocate for social justice are wrong on every single point. They're not. Sure. But, but, the, but the ideology as a whole, as a package, if you will, and, and that's the way we deal with ideologies generally as a, as, as a whole. And, um, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's good, brother. And I think we got to be careful, right? Like, what, what, if, what if, all right, Jesus is in the garden being tempted by Satan. He says, look, this is a spiritual principle. Chew the meat and spit out the bones of this the, 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 this liar, right? That, like, mm-hmm. the, the, the social justice um, uh, ideology is diametrically opposed to the biblical idea of justice. Right. It, they're going in opposite directions. They have a different starting ground. They have a different end game. And so I, I get the premise of, you know, chew the meat, spit out the bones. Um, but, but when, when, when a movement is so intertwined with lies That's right. uh, and it doesn't have the foundation of the word of God, then, yeah. then sometimes um, you, you, you don't know the difference between the bone and the meat. Yeah. Especially and, if you're an immature believer, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think that it's not just a set of ideas like, oh, I'm going to pick this idea and that idea and leave the rest behind. Just like you said, Edwin, it's it's an ideology. And what that means is that it has a basic sense of what's real. Is there a God or isn't there a God? Uh, it's starting with a particular answer to that question. And what does it mean to be a human being? It starts with a particular way of seeing people. Okay. Um so I've been interested in the, at that level of analysis, how does this as a worldview, if you will, or as an ideology, how does it answer these, these more fundamental questions? Because if those answers are wrong, everything's going to be skewed after that. And I think that level of analysis is something that people, uh, too many people haven't been doing. So they've been picking out well, particular ideas. Yes, there is such a thing as systemic, systemic injustice. And they're kind of lobbing onto that idea, but they're not seeing that that idea came out of a broader ideology that was diametrically opposed to Christianity. So, yeah, no, that, that's that's good, brother. Thank you. Yeah, and that and that kind of answers a question someone here asked. They says, "Can you give one example of the good meat?" Um, and and I think and I think we have to be. And this is something that would help continue the conversation with people we're trying to win to the truth is by saying, "Yeah, there are injustices in the world." Yes. Right. Yes. Racism is real. Right. uh, Which you may have been a part of or not and and so on and so forth. Yeah. But even here, the way that the social justice will define racism is different than the way I think we should understand racism from the Bible. Right. So they would they would say racism is defined mainly in terms of systems and structures, whereas the Bible would define it much more in terms of what you do, the attitudes and the beliefs that you personally hold so the social justice ideology wants to make you a racist, whether you've done anything wrong or racist in just on virtue of your skin color. The Bible would never do that. It would say your that your uh, complicity in racism has to do with your own personal choices and beliefs about other people, uh, you know, different skin colors and things like that. Uh, I you know give me examples of the meat. Well, let let's just I, there's so many things you could say to the, to that. But so social justice ideology. On this question, in terms of the view of the human person, let's just take this one quickly. The Bible upholds this kind of beautiful balance. It values people as individuals, right? God creates us as unique individuals with, you know, none of us look the same. We come from different families. We, 
we have all these incredible uniquenesses in terms of our personality, our ethnic background, and God cares about that. He sees us as individuals, uniquely valuable people. And yet, on the other side, community is very important, right? We're, it's not good for man to be made alone. God uh, puts us into families and nations and cultures, and those are all good things. Social justice ideology puts all the emphasis on the latter. It says, you know, community is all that matters. You as an individual don't matter, but you're, you know, you're entirely shaped by these groups or communities that you belong to, particularly groups based on ethnicity or things like that. Mm. Is that true? Well, it's, it's like partially true. Yeah, it's yeah. true, right? It's partially true. But if you ignore the in balancing of the value of the individual, it kind of gets really skewed. And I see that same thing happening so much with ideological social justice. It's not that it's entirely wrong, but it, it takes things that the Bible puts forward as a balance and says, we're just going to focus on one and ignore the other. And so it goes, it's not that that one thing that they're focusing on is wrong, but if you don't have this bigger picture, it gets all skewed. And I think that's what I would say so much about so much of this ideology. Yeah, that's good. And I think that's why it's important for us to have these conversations face to face with people yeah. as opposed to primarily online. Mm -hmm. uh, these are these are ongoing conversations where we need to weed out truth from error mm -hmm. and have face-to-face -face eye contact with people and say, look, now I'm not opposed to doing online ministry and, and things of that nature, but, but especially at the local level, when it comes to the local church, right. right? We need to have confrontations with people. And I don't mean that in the negative sense. I mean that in the most positive way right. where, where if we see a brother or a sister believing ideas that are contrary to God, we need to, 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 to tear down every stronghold, right. Mm. By, by the word of God and, and do so gracefully and lovingly, but, but uncompromisingly, right. Saying, look, brother, mm. th th this is this saving your soul, even as from fire, like th right. the end of this leads to destruction. Right. Exactly. You're, you're exactly right. Edwin, our goal in these kinds of dialogues isn't to win an argument at all. It's to see our brothers and sisters in Christ get untangled from a web of lies that maybe they don't see themselves being tangled into so that they can begin to flourish once again. As you said, when you were caught up in this particular web, it made you angry. It, you know, it had negative outcomes for you personally. I want to see you free. I don't want you to be bitter and angry. I want you to be free, forgiving, loving, you know, and then move forward because that's good, right? So that it's that desire to see blessing and goodness in the lives of others that needs to motivate us, I think. So, amen, amen, brother. All right, brother, a couple questions here. Uh, one, uh, are there any parts of the book uh, you wished you had been able to explain or express differently? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, um, huh. Boy, I, I, I know there are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just I'm just struggling to think through what they, they would be right now. Um, yeah, I can't I can't I can't think of something that comes to my head right now, even though I, I know that sounds kind of prideful. And, uh, you know, it, but uh, I, I know there are. I just can't think sure. of what it would be right now. So, yeah. OK, maybe we can go back to that if something comes to mind. Yeah. OK. Uh, Thanks. Yeah. And, and these are questions, by the way, from the group that I'm leading at the uh, Center of Biblical Unity the sure. study. Yeah. Uh, the, the second question asked by uh, a, a sister, she said, um, if you could give one piece of advice to those engaging in these hard conversations with church leaders, what would it be? Mm, one piece of advice. Yeah. Um, I would say 
it's just as you were saying, Edwin, don't shy away from that conversation, okay? Because I think right now, the reason that the ideology has made such headway in the church and in the broader culture is that people that know better for whatever reason are keeping their mouths shut. Mm -hmm. And when people feel a sense of kind of self-censorship or, you know, I just can't speak, uh, we're just giving free runway for these terrible ideas to just move forward. So don't, you've got to check that. You got to, you got to speak up and do it in love. And don't, don't, again, this is more than just one thing, but don't expect that you're going to have all the answers. They may have really good questions or uh, really good uh, kind of counters, but be committed to the truth. Say, let's go find out the answer to that. Let's see if we can get to the bottom of that. So, yeah, that's good. You know, the image I thought of brother is uh, in the gospels, Jesus turns the tables over. Mm. And he does them. Why? For zeal for his father's house. Yes. Right. He did it for the glory of God. Mm. And and he sees that there there's a misrepresentation of his father and mm. of the word of God mm. and ultimately of the triune God. Right. Mm. This this mm. unity that there's in the triune God, mm. there, there's a misrepresentation of that in the household of God. And so Jesus, not for fear of man, but mm. for fear of God. Mm does the right thing does and, and he obviously fulfills scripture in doing so and the disciples pick up on it later and and the lord you know is glorified in that but i think we we need to fear god more than man that is the crying need of the hour i just think all christians have to grapple with that right now and commit themselves to to that we're gonna i am going to fear god and i'm not going to fear man even though there's so much pressure the other way right so yeah. And, you know, I, I think there may be some people who tend to think that, well, now on the other side of this, Edwin, you, you say um, you're just going to speak the truth and there's never any moments of anxiety or fear. There's always anytime anytime you're speaking as a as a as a prophet. And I mean, prophet in the sense of communicating God's word when you're when you're when you're communicating God's word uh, in, in a culture and, and to a people group or to a society that is opposed to that, there's always that anxiety and that initial fear. But, but when you open your mouth for the Lord, mm -hmm. there, there's this strength that the spirit gives you and this mm -hmm. boldness that says, you know, this is, this is what it is. This is where I stand. Exactly. Right. No, exactly. Right. There's a, the, the fear comes from the fact that very often, there's a price to be paid. Yes. And none of us like want to go into that uncomfortable space. <laughs> I don't. Um, and yet to do it out of obedience to Christ, even, you know, is to find life in many ways. It's to have God affirm you and say, well done. And at the end of the day, there's nothing that we want more than that. Is there? Yes. So, yes. yeah. Amen. And, and I, and I found brother that it, it it shows more about our lack of believing the promises of God when yeah. we walk in fear, mm -hmm. right? Like if, if, if God's word is true and we believe it is and his promises are yes and amen in Christ, then, then he will keep us. He will provide for us. And, and, and worst case scenario for the believer is best case scenario for the believer, right? Like, yeah. They take our life, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the quote unquote worst case scenario. Then, yeah. then, then to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> no, it's so true. I, I think this is a great time for Christians in America to really recover something that we haven't had 
I, I, and again, I'm speaking here for myself, we haven't had to live in light of eternity because we've had everything that we need on this side, right? We live such comfortable lives and thank God for that, right? But now some of those comforts are being threatened to be taken away if we speak out. We have to get back to this idea that we live in this bigger horizon, you know, this eternal horizon uh, that uh, or all of the, you know, the apostles had. I think especially of the apostle Peter, you know, in, in Peter's epistles, he talks so much about, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, just all that we have in Christ in eternity. And uh, so the suffering that we might face on this side is just pales in comparison to what yes. we think is coming. So yes, amen. We have, we have to get back to that mindset that you, that's important for us. Yeah, all. It, it is. It, it, it's a, um, yeah, it, it is. It, it's, it's vital and it, it applies mm -hmm. to every area of life, right? Yes. Like in, in every area. Uh, last question, brother. And then uh, we, we will, we will end our conversation here uh, again. I'm sp speaking to uh, dear brother in the Lord. Scott David Allen, who is the author of Why Social Justice is Not Biblical Justice. There will be a link in the description if you would are interested in purchasing the book. Uh, brother, this is the last question. I, I should have asked this earlier so that we could have ended on the note that we were on. But uh, I did speak to you about this uh, prior to us recording. And this was the question that was asked in the group. It says, just curious if he could, Scott David Allen, elaborate on the disconnect between the evangelical statement on social justice and the gospel and their apparent neglect about the importance of the cultural engagement slash ministry. I've heard Vody Bauckham speak some, and it's hard to believe he would affirm the abandonment of the mission of the church. One, he says, I have not read Vody Bauckham's book yet. Uh, Vody's book yet. Two, maybe Doctor, or maybe Mister Allen may uh, was speaking primarily about Johnson and MacArthur, and this is he's referring to chapter seven, I believe, the inroads chapter. Mm, right. Yeah. Well, first of all, yeah, let me just say that the statement on social justice and the gospel that came out a few years ago um, from that group that John MacArthur was was a leader of, Vody Bauckham was involved in that, uh, Tom Askall. Uh, let me say this, I really am grateful for what those men did um, and for that statement that they put out. Uh, because it, it came at a time when very few evangelical leaders were speaking out clearly against this ideology. And it was a clear statement against this ideology. It was saying this is not biblical. Uh, so I just want to make that really clear. I, I, I think that that was very important. In my book, though, I do offer one critique. And that critique is that um, they, they went kind of beyond that. And they said engagement in society or in culture is, and the word that they used was a distraction. It's a distraction from this higher, more important focus or mission of the church, which is evangelism, gospel proclamation and church planting. So kind of the idea that we should be involved in the culture, trying to uh, bring positive change in the culture is going to lead us away from uh, kind of a, a focus, a single-minded focus on the most important part of our mission. I find that mindset to be to be unbiblical and wrong. You know, I say that with deep respect. Um, I, I think God calls us to be salt and light in the culture on, with the truth, to live out justice, to be concerned for the poor and the marginalized, to be bringing positive change in our families, our communities, and our nations. That's, that's a big part of our mission. The gospel proclamation is absolutely 
central to that, but it goes beyond that, right? It goes beyond that foundation point, okay? And I think these are things that, I think that mindset comes from the fact that 150 years ago, we had a big split in the church, the, the church in the United States. One side of that split, the side that kind of advocated for the social gospel said, they really kind of abandoned the gospel. And they said, we as the church just need to be fighting for uh, positive social change through government action primarily. The fundamentalists then at that time said, that's heretical. You know, we need to keep focused on the gospel and we need to preach the gospel. Thank God that they did that, right? But prior to that split, there wasn't this kind of split in, in the minds of Christians. There was this much more comprehensive or holistic kind of approach to understanding our mission. Yes to the gospel, yes to positive social change in the culture, to engaging the culture uh, on the behalf of God, Christ's kingdom. Then after that split, you kind of saw this kind of polarization, whereas one side said yes on the culture and no on the gospel. The other side said yes on the gospel, no on the culture. And I think so we've lived in that kind of unbiblical dichotomy for about 100 years. And my plea is let's not go. Let's not that that's wrong. Let's not, you know, let's not go back and rehash this mistake in the church. Let's say yes to the gospel and yes to positive social change in the culture. So yeah, that's good. Would you say, and this is this is I just thought of this, would you say that that is connected to um a person's eschatological view? Like would, would dispensationalism kind of feed that? Yeah, I think that's a great way of saying it. I think it I don't think it's necessarily completely driven by somebody's eschatology, but I think it feeds it. So uh, there is an eschatology or a vision of the end times that says, you know, kind of things are going to get worse and worse. And when they get bad enough, God's going to wipe it all out. And then Jesus is going to come back. If that's your eschatology, then it is very disempowering. Why would you want to be engaged in this world? It's just it's a sinking ship. That's kind of the way that they see it. Uh, the other eschatology says, yeah, things are going to get worse. I, I, this is my eschatology. It, it's rooted in the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Those weeds are real and they're growing in this garden of the world, right? They're growing. Things are getting worse, if you will. But so is the wheat, right? That's the, that's the kingdom of God. It's growing, right? It's also advancing. And those things are happening simultaneously. I think that's a much clearer picture of the world that we're in. At a certain point, Christ is going to come back. He himself is going to get rid of these weeds, okay? And he's going to preserve that wheat. Uh, what's our job now? It's not to see the whole garden is filled with weeds and no wheat. No, we need to be out there working and cultivating that wheat, you know, making this world filled with wheat, if you will. So, um, Hey, that's great, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Um, again, speaking to Scott David Allen. He's the author of Why Social Justice is Not Biblical Justice. Scott, it has been a pleasure and a joy. If you would, please stay on after we end this, just so I can thank you uh, behind the scenes again. And uh, thank you for all who watched. Uh, again, please consider subscribing to the channel. This is The Proverbial Life, a podcast that we encourage Christians to look to Christ, live wisely, and leave a legacy behind for generations to follow. Grace and peace. Thank you, brother. Amen.